I would encourage you to, if you haven't already, to listen to last week's message by Darren, who's our senior leader here, because I'm really going to operate within the context of what he taught on last week. So I would encourage you to listen to that message, and then maybe re-listen to this one, because it'll really paint a full, full picture. And there's two main premises that I'm really going to focus on this morning. And the first one is this. The church is the people and not the building. Now, maybe growing up, you may have had a certain understanding of church where, they, where it was someplace that you went. It was a building. It was a campus. But really, the church is not the building. It's the people that are actually in the building. The building is more of a tool that allows us to really build the church. Now, when we gather together like this, really, there are three reasons why we do it. Number one, we want people to know who they are in God. We want people to know that, a, that an intimate, personal relationship with God is actually possible and within reach. And that also everyone is made for something significant. Everyone is made for a purpose. We define that as destiny. But the church is the people. It's all of us. If there were no building here, but we gathered together, it would still be church. The second point is that the church is a family. Now, that may be difficult for some of you. Maybe it's more of a reinforcement for others. But we believe the church is a family. It's a close-knit, relational environment where we get to know one another, where we, where we love and we learn. So when Jesus says he will build his church, he's referring to building up people in a family. He's not necessarily talking about building a building in South Florida or in Eastern Europe. He's talking about building people and building people in family. Now, because Jesus is a people person and he's a family man, the way he does it is he, he builds up people by empowering other people. He, he builds up people. He equips people. He empowers people by gifting other people to be sparks, to be nudgers, if you will. So we can't avoid each other when we talk about church. We need each other. I need you. You need me. The world needs us. So one of the scriptures that Dan referenced last week is Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to reread it again so I can really focus on some specifics. Starting at verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So the church is not only the people, but the church is the body of Christ. And that speaks to how closely aligned Jesus is to us. That he would call us his body. 13. 
This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. If you're taking notes, highlight, underline, circle that word mature. In the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature. Circle, highlight, whatever you need to do. Like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So, the reason why Jesus gives gifts to the church in the form of people who equip other people to be ministers in the world is so that everyone would be mature. In other words, Jesus intends his church, you and I, to be mature people in the world. And I'm going to define maturity in a second, but just hold on with me here. Now, when we talk about these gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, and how this is language for us to understand how Jesus really does what he does in the church. Now, some of you are asking these kinds of questions that I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 29. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Pause right there. Now, hopefully that takes the edge off for some of you who feel, well, I don't know if I'm an apostle. Some of you may say you are an apostle. But that's another conversation. You know, but we ask ourselves, well, what, what part do I play? Is, is that me? Am I a pastor? Am I, am I a teacher? Are we all supposed to do the same thing, say the same thing, operate in the same way? Are we designed to be cookie cutters? Of course not. Verse 31, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Let me pause right there for a second. So it's, it's not that Paul, who wrote this letter, is against the pursuit of spiritual gifts. It's not that Paul is saying, don't try to discover your gift or don't try to exercise your gift. In fact, he's saying the opposite. Because the gifts are intended to mature the church. So we should pursue them. However, but those gifts need to operate within a specific framework 
in order for them to be effective in what they are intended to do. And that is to mature the church. To equip people to be ministers everywhere they find themselves. But those gifts need to be living in an environment to ensure that they actually do what they're intended to do. So the question is, what is that environment? This is where we continue to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of all angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I wish I could just jump into the stage and just bang for the rest of the service. Half of you would just leave and say, it is so noisy in that church. All that guy did was bang a cymbal. That's a great analogy to suggest that if we are exercising gifts given by Jesus to mature other people, without love, it is noisy. It actually repels people and doesn't attract people. Now, here's what's important here, because this, this Corinthian church, these people, they were embedded in a culture that took great pride in knowledge, in articulating knowledge. That's important because as they gather together to, to worship, you can begin to see how the cultural values find themselves within the church. So they even try to make sense out of what Jesus gives them by how the, how the culture prioritizes and places value on things. But Paul says, wait a minute. Do you have prophetic language or can you speak under the inspiration of the Spirit of Jesus? That may be the case. But if it doesn't happen within an environment of love, it's noise. Verse 2. If I had the gift of prophecy, as I mentioned, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Now, we're talking about the things that happen when people gather together like this. We're talking about the ways in which Jesus gives us gifts to mature us. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, some may say, well, I don't have a spiritual gift in the sense of prophecy, but I have a spiritual gift of giving. That is a gift, by the way, to be resourceful. It is something that Jesus equips some of us to do in order to mature the church. It is a spiritual gift. Some of you have it. If you do, I'd like for you to take me to lunch after service, and I can tell, I can tell you about how to exercise that gift. But listen to this. 
if I gave everything to the poor, if I were the most generous person in the world, if I sacrificed my body, if I lived life without boundaries, if I always said yes when Samuel asked me to serve, if I never missed an opportunity, if I neglected my family, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So the question is, okay, well, what is this love? Then he goes on to define it, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Now, I want to show a quick video to really give you a way to, <laughs> to see how a lack of love really works. Now, this is a funny video, but just check this out with me. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I was just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, my God. Supermodels? What are you model? Gloves? What are you doing? The girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies, so loses. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. What do you model? Gloves? I love that part. <laughs> it's not nice. It's not nice. <laughs> Joe Pesci, man, that dude. Love is not irritable. So here's a point of like that commercial, and I love the tagline. You're not you when you're hungry. I would say you're not you when you're not loving. We are meant to love. We are meant to relate with each other within the context of love. That's how God made us. When we are unloving, we are not being who we are meant to be. Verse 6. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, here's the point. Love is not, love is the evidence, sorry, of our maturity, not our spiritual gifts. Really important. Because I think the tendency is to think. If I'm really being empowered by Jesus to equip others to mature the church, then maybe that makes me mature. Not so. What defines maturity is how you love. It just so happens that God has given you a gift. But the way we measure maturity, which I'll define shortly, is by how we love. And here's another point. Maturity, then, is unattainable without love. 
Why? Let's continue on, verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Why would he say that? Verse 9. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, the word perfection there is the same word translated into our English word maturity, by the way. So when the time of maturity comes, these partial things will become useless. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now this seems to be out of place. I can follow when he's talking about defining love because there were people within the church not walking in love, but rather walking in their spiritual gift. So he's really trying to course correct people within the church. So I can follow his logic. But then out of nowhere, he throws in this sentence that says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Which, which says to me, how we talk, how we think, and how we reason reveal and reflect our maturation in love. Although we often equate adulthood with maturity, just because you're growing in age doesn't mean you're mature. Now, I'm a very mature 20-year-old, and like, I'll be, Miss Brazington, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> but age does not determine maturity. And there's a difference between being childlike and being childish. Very different. Jesus calls us to be childlike, but he doesn't call us to be childish. So maturity really is about the appropriate response. In other words, it is the right thinking, the right reasoning, and the right speaking at the right time in the right situation. That's a way to kind of understand what maturity is. Thinking the right thing, understanding the right thing, and saying the right thing at the right time to the right person in the right situation. I, listen, I have said the right thing in the wrong way or the wrong time. And it happens to all of us. Of course, we're all learning, we're all growing, we're all maturing, but that's a way for us to begin to understand what it means to be mature. So love is really for grown-ups. Love is really for the mature. It takes maturity to really love rightly. It really does. I mean, early on in our marriage, I, I mean, I was very immature. I'm very mature now. I'm very mature now. I'm very mature now. But, but early in our marriage, 
I wasn't because I had a bunch of mantrums, not tantrums. I had mantrums. I, like a kid, if I didn't get my way, I would roll on the floor, toss, turn, flip tables, whatever. <laughs> and, and what that communicated was that I was immature. Why? Because usually our response doesn't match the offense. When we are either insecure or afraid or fill in the blank, the way we respond may not match what was said or done to us. Someone may have just cut in front of me in line, and I blow a gasket. I mean, ripping shirts off, ready to, you know, like a hulk. That, the offense doesn't, the response doesn't match the offense shows that there's a level of maturity for me to still attain. Or if I'm always suspicious of someone and I'm thinking the wrong thing about what they have said or done, or I'm projecting a motive onto them, it shows that I am not mature in that moment. Jesus is calling us to be mature people. He is. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, before I read that, by the way, when you, when you read these New Testament letters written to these churches, what you'll find is a consistent message. Several, but one consistent message is it is always addressing this concept of unity. How, how people need to learn how to coexist with one another. Even if you are in a different, different social class, even if you are a different gender, even if you have a different cultural upbringing, there's this consistent message to these churches, whether it's Galatians, Galatians or Corinthians or Ephesians or Colossians, it's always trying to encourage them to coexist, to learn to live together, even if you're different, because it's actually more beautiful when you're different, because we can reflect how different people can still coexist and love to a world that would rather keep us separated because of our differences. There has to be a way to show the world what it looks like for us to love in spite of the fact that we're different. So Colossians chapter 3, sitting at verse 12, he says, put on then, he uses this analogy of like putting on clothing, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I want to focus on this concept of forgiveness just for a second. And to do that, I want to put this quote up by this English poet by the name of David White. And he says, To forgive is to assume a larger identity. 
than the person who was first hurt. Let me put that a different way. To when I choose to forgive someone who has hurt me, or maybe they have said something that hurt me, or they did something that hurt me, when I choose to forgive, I am making a choice to no longer be defined by the pain or be defined by the offense. This is what it means to be the bigger person. I, if, if I'm hurt, if someone wrongs me, and I forgive, I'm saying, I am bigger than this. I will not live my life enslaved by what you said to me, because that means you're controlling me. I can't live life that way. I have to, for, and forgiveness is really just releasing payment. I'm no longer holding you hostage to pay me because of what you did to me. I want to be a true son of God, not a person that was wronged. Not a victim of circumstance. Choose to forgive. Now, this is important here because we're talking about the concept of church. People gathering together who may be different. And church is meant to be a family. And sometimes families get messy. And as a result, we have to forgive. Now, some of us may have had bad family experiences. It may be bad church experiences. And we have carried that with us for so long. We have carried what dad said, what mom said, what brother or sister did. And I love, I, I love this analogy that I've heard about being unforgiving. Being unforgiving is swallowing, drinking poison and thinking the other person is going to die or something like that paraphrase, but forgiveness is, it is a releasing. We release the person and in turn we release ourselves from being enslaved by what was said or done to us. So, we're being encouraged to forgive one another, which is to say we're being encouraged to build our lives as, as people who are made in the image of and likeness of God, not as people who have been hurt. In verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, love makes everything work. Love makes everything work. And I love this analogy of this, of this garment or attire because what he's saying is love makes the whole outfit come together. Love makes the outfit pop. Now, I won't draw attention to myself, but, you know, I have a pretty good outfit today. I'm 
My wife is like, oh, my God. <laughs> but think about that moment, like, when you get dressed and, and you're like, missing something. Like something is missing. And then when you put that missing thing on, you're like, yep, this is it. This, this is it. That's what love is like. Love makes everything work. We are incomplete if we are not loving. We are immature if we are not loving. We are not growing if we are not loving. In fact, life is really all about growth. If we're not growing, if we're not learning, we're really not living. So that is to say love is a way of life. And in Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit or what the Spirit produces in us, is like it has this long list of things, joy, peace, self-control, meekness. And at the end of that phrase, it says this sentence. It says, against such things there is no law. In other words, there is never a time for us not to be loving. There's never a time. Because love is the environment in which we live. Because God is love. So if we say we, we are living in God, that means we're living in love because God is love. And God showed his love to us, to the world, by sending his son to die for us, that we would live his kind of life, the life of love. And as we gather together week after week across the world, there is a capital C church that's not defined by ethnicity, by denominational affiliation. There is a church that gathers together every week, everywhere. That belongs to Jesus because he said, I will build my church. The church belongs to him. doesn't belong to us on the stage. It belongs to him. Therefore, he's the one who gives the gifts to make the church flourish and mature and grow. So he entrusts us with abilities given by his spirit to continue his ministry to make all things new across the globe. But sometimes we take the gifts and we misuse them. Or we misappropriate them. But let that not be a charge against Jesus. Because here's the deal. I think to one degree or another, everyone in this room has had, perhaps, I don't want to assume, but many of us have had some kind of church hurt. Someone in the church, maybe it might have been a leader, a church leader, hurt us. They said something to us. They did something to us. Maybe they didn't say something to us. Maybe something was, was done or said. And that may have caused us to either not come to church or if we do come to church, we stay at arm's length. 
And I don't think it is far-reaching to say that forgiveness is a part of being a church member or being a church partner in our case. Because I'll tell you this, I, I will probably wrong you at some point. Not intentionally, but perhaps. I may say something, I may not say something, I may do or not do something that causes you to feel hurt. That probably will happen. But remember, maturity is our response to what happens to us. That's what we can control, by the way. We can control how we respond. So, then, I have a choice to make. If, if, if Darren says or does something to me, I have a choice to make. What am I going to do with this? Am I going to hold a grudge? Am I going to be passive-aggressive? Am I going to be unloving? Am I going to withhold who I am? Because the church is a body. That's another analogy used. And every part has a part to play in the body. So if I withhold something from the church because I'm hurt and I want to pay someone back, then the church is missing out. If I walk in a fence, I'm withholding something from you that's beneficial to you, and vice versa. So, what do I do when something is said, something is done? What, I, have, I now have a choice to make. Am I going to talk it out? Am I going to forgive after we've talked it out? Am I not going to say anything? Am I just going to leave the church and find another one until I get hurt there and then leave that one? That's not what happens in family. Now, you may leave the family home, but you never leave the family. Now, this is coming a little bit down to earth because, listen, our vision is to see transform people transforming culture. And we want to see everyone equipped to be whole and healthy in spirit, soul, and body and to empower the world for Jesus. For that to happen, we've got to grow up. I have a choice to make. I've got to put my big boy pants on when somebody hurts me. And how do I respond to that? As we read in that quote, if I choose to forgive, then I'm not defined by what was done to me. I'm defined by something way more powerful. Now, that doesn't mean forgiveness is not forgetting, by the way, but this is another message for another time. But I really sense that some of you in this room really need to forgive for real. You may need to forgive a church leader, you may need to forgive your spouse. You may need to forgive a friend, a family member. But let's just focus on church for now because that's our context. You may need to forgive someone in this room. 
that you've chosen to avoid every week, when you see them or you smell their perfume or cologne, you're just rubbed the wrong way. You go the other direction. Now, I know I'm not being crazy. Because I'm sure that probably happened this morning for some of you. You saw XYZ person and you made a beeline to go someplace else. Or, what we typically do, we grab our phones and act like we're making a deal. <laughs> like something important just happened. And, come on. You're just scrolling your feed. Listen. I, I just like to go there. I like to be honest. I like to be real. That's a value that my wife and I have. We just like to be real people. We, we say what needs to be said. In love. Because if it's not loving, it's noise. And it's not beneficial to anyone. So I'm saying this in love. Because I've done some of these same things. I used to be the kind of guy that would hold a grudge for years. I remember one of my good friends, we were on the basketball court, and we got into this argument, and he punched me in the eye. Punched me in the eye. So they broke the skirmish up, and you know what? I held that grudge for years I would it would be a snowstorm and I'd be in my car and I'd see him walking and I'd ride right past him that kind of grudge holding but I wasn't hurting him I was hurting me now your grudge may not be to that degree but perhaps you may be holding a grudge Maybe against some of the leaders in this church. Maybe against someone in this room. My encouragement to you is let it go. Forgive. Release yourself by releasing the person. And live life because trust me, the grass will be greener, the sky will be bluer, the sun will be much brighter when you release people and release yourself. Because until we do that, we won't be mature. And until we mature, we will only see and say things in partiality. But Jesus is calling us to be mature. He's calling us to grow up. And for some of you, this may be your first step. So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to have a team here in the front. A team of ministers that are prepared to pray with you and to pray for you and to stand with you if you feel that you've carried unforgiveness in your heart towards someone in the church, towards a church leader, maybe even your family, and you're ready to let it go, would you give us the opportunity to pray with you and to pray with you? Would you give us the chance to see you walk in freedom? And if it's against us, would you give us the chance to make it right? Instead of leaving, give us the chance to make it right. We are big people. We can take it. We, we, we can take it. 
If I did something to you, tell me. It's all right. And we'll make it right. Now, if, if maybe you live life in a way that you feel as though you've done the unforgivable, that there is no way God can forgive you because of what you did, what you said, or who you did it with, allow me to tell you that forgiveness is available for you today. It doesn't matter what you did, who you are. Give us the chance to help you receive the forgiveness of God. Because he's offered forgiveness to all those who would believe by what he has done in Jesus. Now, we also do believe that sometimes sickness and ailments in our body really are a result, in some sense, of unforgiveness, of emotional unease. And you'd be surprised that maybe that ache or that pain would probably go away once you forgive. Give us the chance to try it out. We won't make any promises, but perhaps what you're feeling now in your body, what if, what if, what if it would disappear once you let that grudge go? Once you forgive that person, once you forgive that church, let's take that chance together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you called us together as a church to be a family. And you have given us everything we need to grow, to mature, and to live lives that reflect what you're doing all across the planet. But we know you're calling us to be a forgiven people, to be a mature people. And we need you for that. So today, we want to let it go. We really do want to just let it go because you're calling us to something greater, to something higher. And we want that. We, we want to leave the things in the past and press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus. So, Father, I ask that as you make that available today, that every heart in this room would be touched and ministered to in some way because you're that good. You're that good, and it's that true. So thank you, Abba. Thank you for what you're doing right now in, in the hearts in this room and what you will begin to do, what you have begun to do, and what you're going to continue to do in, in the next few moments and even this week as we prepare for Easter weekend, as we remember what Jesus did for us, and as we remember the resurrection, how it ushered in all things becoming new. Thank you for giving us a chance to get ready for that today by forgiveness. So we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you are leaving, please do so quietly as some people will come to the front to receive ministry. Once again, come on back next week and invite your family and friends. We'd love to see you. Two services. Also come to our Good Friday service. But come on up and let us pray with you and pray for you. In Jesus' name, have a good weekend.